Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter, if you don't know, comes after 1 Peter. 2 Peter is where we will spend the next number of weeks together walking through this letter written by one of Jesus' apostles, one of his disciples, uh, one of the pivotal figures in the life of the early church. And as we walk through the book of 2 Peter, my hope for us is that we would be encouraged, we would be challenged, uh, we would be prepared as we seek to live out a godly life in Christ Jesus in this world in which God has placed us, uh, that as we do that, we would be encouraged by the reality of who we are in Christ, the grace that we have received, the grace that we need for this life. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 15 is where we'll spend our time together. If you're new to North River Church, I want you to know that as we gather each week, we open God's Word together, uh, working through a portion of Scripture. Typically, it's book by book. We just finished last week the book of Genesis, and we move now into the New Testament, working through the book of Second Peter. And uh, so I want to encourage you, uh, church family and guests alike, bring your Bibles with you. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to grab one under the seat in front of you. Uh, there should be some spaced around. If you don't own a Bible, I want to encourage you to take that home as our gift to you. We want to encourage you to read that. God has revealed himself to us through his word. And I can think of nothing better that we could do than to spend time together each week working through his word together. As we prepare our hearts for this message entitled, A Beautiful Reminder, how many of you enjoy, as much as I do, going to the DMV? Some of you are thinking, that's not very fun at all. I remember when we moved here uh, seven and a half years ago that one of the first things we had to do was to go and to get a new driver's license because we were moving from the state of Georgia here to Florida. And so I went on the website so that I would have clarity of exactly which documents that I needed to bring. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's about 4,000 pages of documents that you have to take. So they said, you know, you need to bring a copy of your current driver's license if it's out of state. You need to bring two forms of identification. You can bring picture identification or you can bring some other form. And I didn't know, I, I was confused. I didn't know is an out-of-state driver's license a form of identification. And just to let you know, it's not. So I had to bring my passport. I had to bring social security card. And then they said, just for good measure, bring your birth certificate just in case. And then you need to bring a copy of at least two bills from your current address. So I package all of that and go into the DMV and I set it all down, proud of myself that I was able to find everything. Set it down in front of the lady and she was very kind and she looks through the documents. And, and then she turned to me and she said, are you Michael Kennedy? And I thought for a second, and it's like, I, I think I'm Michael Kennedy. I mean, I think that's what those documents say. And then she said, do you live at this address? And 
And I turn around and look at my wife, and I'm, I think we live there now, don't we? I mean, I'm not sure. And she said, so you're saying that you're Michael Kennedy that lives at this address? And I said, I don't really know now. I'm not sure if I am or not. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know. And she said, well, we need to know. I said, yes, ma'am. I brought all of this. I didn't manufacture any of it, to which her ears perked up at that point. Finally, after a little bit of convincing, she realized I actually am Michael Kennedy. That's my identity. That's who I am. And so I was able to secure a driver's license. And from hence forward, moving in the state of Florida, everything I do will be done by mail now, right? Not going in person. We're not going to do that. You know, identity is important. Identity matters, especially if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Who you are in Christ changes everything about your life. It changes everything about my life. And Peter, in these initial verses, verses 1 through 15, is going to hone in on the identity of every single believer. And so as we read through the text, I want you to take notice of that as we're working our way through the text this morning and take note of what Peter says, if we are in Christ, these things should be true about our lives and the way that we live. And if these things are true about our lives and the way that we live, it will inevitably bear fruit in this world. And so as I read through the text, I want you to take note as we're walking through those three things this morning. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, this is God's word. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. 
I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to encourage you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together as we work verse by verse through these verses that we just read in 2 Peter chapter 1. It's this truth, who you are impacts what you do, and what you do yields fruit in your life. Who you are impacts what you do, and what you do ultimately yields fruit in your life. So as we think about, as we gather this morning, uh, as followers of Jesus in this room, those of us who are, this reminds us that if we are a follower of Jesus, that is our identity, then that affects the way that we live our lives. It impacts what we do, and the way in which we live our lives as followers of Jesus ultimately yields fruit in our lives. So as we work through these verses, that will be for us the main idea that we will see play out as Peter is writing to this group of believers this letter I want you to notice first and foremost that Peter's focus in verses 1 through 4 is on identity. Who he is, but then who the readers are as well. So notice in verse 1, Simon Peter, this was often a way that a letter like this would have originated and Peter is describing, as he is sending this letter out, that this is who I am. Notice how he describes himself, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. This dual identity that Peter highlights here of himself is that he is a servant of or a slave of Jesus Christ, but not only that, he is also an apostle, a messenger, one of the disciples that had called, been called by Jesus to himself and then sent out by Jesus in the early church to accomplish much of what we read in the book of Acts. This is Peter who is describing himself in this way. This is his identity. This is the Peter that we read about in the gospel account of Jesus' life and his ministry. This is the same Peter who was a fisherman prior to Jesus calling him to himself and calling him to follow after him, that he would make him a fisher of men. It's the same Peter that we read many bold proclamations that Peter makes in his relationship with Jesus. Remember, it's Peter that proclaims that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
And Jesus says, upon that confession, the church will be built. But immediately following that, it's also Peter when Jesus says he must go to the cross and lay down his life, that Peter says, oh, no, sir, that's not going to happen on my watch. And Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. It's the same Peter who was at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is transfigured and when the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's the same Peter who... In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus is arrested, pulls out his sword and chops off. He missed. He was trying to behead the guy, and he misses and cuts his ear off, one of the soldiers that was there. It's the same Peter who promised Jesus that he would never deny him. He would lay down his life for him. And yet we read in the gospel accounts that he, in fact, does deny Jesus three times. It's the same Peter that following Jesus' resurrection, he calls Peter to himself and he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says to Peter, then feed my sheep, tend to my lambs, feed my sheep. Sheep. This is the same Peter who in Acts chapter 2 proclaimed the gospel on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. It's the same Peter in the Acts of the Apostles that we read whose shadow was actually healing people. It's the same Peter who was willing to be beaten, thrown in prison, as he is faithful to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is who is writing this letter. But I want you to notice in the second part there of verse 1, who he is writing this letter to. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the recipients of this letter, much like his first letter that he had written, would have been to believers who were scattered about in the Roman Empire as a result of persecution of believers. And so, they are scattered about, and he's writing to them. And notice how he describes them. They are those who have obtained a faith of equal standing, Peter says, with his. Which I think is a fascinating thing to say because here's a problem I think that often exists within church life that we think in some capacity that there is some type of level of believer. Like you have pastors that are like up here, And then you have the rest of Christians that are like right here. I think about it in this sense. Have you ever gone through the airport and walked through the line to go through security and then look beside you and see the TSA pre-check line? And for us peons who don't have that, we just have to continue walking through and snaking through the line, right? Just got to wait, wait. But they, man, they look, I mean, there's wind blowing through their hair as they're moving their way through. But hear me this morning, some, some approach being a Christian in that way. There's, there's the rest of us 
And then there's those who are up here. And yet notice that one who would have been able to proclaim, if that was the case, that he was a better Christian or a more fruitful Christian than any of the rest, Peter was one of those who could say that, but he doesn't. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. See, the reality is, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you are at the same level as your pastor. You are at the same level as Peter. Why? Not because of what you've done, because notice what Peter says following this up. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not on the basis of what we've done. It's not on the basis of how good we've been. It's not on the basis of how great we've lived out the Christian life. It's totally on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, the reason that we are all on the same level is because the righteousness that we have is not a righteousness we secured. It is a righteousness given to us by Jesus Christ himself. It is Christ's righteousness that covers us, which is why Peter can say here, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, his desire is that grace, in verse 2, and peace would be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to notice in verse 3 that Peter doesn't stop highlighting the identity of those who he's writing to, these believers. And by default, if you're a follower of Jesus, you as well. Notice that he continues and says in verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. See, the reality is for every single one of us who are followers of Jesus in this room, not only do we have a faith of equal standing, but every single one of us has exactly what we need, Peter says here, to live a life of godliness in this world in which we find ourselves. Again, if you notice, not because of anything that we've done, but he says here, because of what God has done. Because he called us to his own glory and to his own excellence. And notice in verse 4, he continues, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Not only, Peter says, are you on equal standing with every other believer, not only do you have everything that you need to live a life of godliness, but he says in verse 4, you also are recipients of the very promises of God given to his children. Meaning, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the assurance that you have is that everything that pertains to Christ, 
also pertains to you as a result of your relationship with him. If you notice what he says there, we as followers of Jesus will be partakers, he says there, of the divine nature. You say, hang on just a second, pastor. Are you telling me that we're going to be we're going to be gods? No. Don't misunderstand that. But the promise that we have, one of them that Jesus made is every single follower of Jesus has the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit of God comes and takes up residence in your life and in my life. And as a result of that, the great promise that we have, Peter says here, is that we will have eternal life. But not only eternal life, as Jesus promised us, also abundant life here and now. Yes, we look forward to the future when we will experience the fullness of our salvation, but do not lose sight that we have the privilege and the opportunity through the Holy Spirit of God at work within us, the confidence that we now are able to experience the abundance of living in relationship with Jesus Christ. And for every single believer in this room, that is your identity. And that is a beautiful reminder of who you are in Christ. Do not underestimate what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to have Christ's righteousness covering you, what it means to have the divine power of God at work in you, what it means to be partakers of his divine nature with the spirit of God indwelling you. The promise of eternal life, the promise of abundant life, if you are in Christ, that is yours. Here's the question this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, do you see yourself in that light? Do you recognize this description is you? And this description is me, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done in us. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus this morning, you've never taken that step of trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The great news is that this too can be your identity. You can experience the grace and the mercy of God in your life through Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for you on the cross and through his resurrection. You can experience all that Peter lays out for us here if you will trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's a step that you need to take. We would love nothing more than to help you take that step today. I want you to notice that Peter focuses on identity in verses 1 through 4. But then in verses 5 through 7, Peter is going to focus on action. Remember what I said at the beginning, our identity impacts what we do. Who you are impacts what you do. Peter is going to outline now on the basis of 
who we are in Christ, here's what we should be doing. So notice verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Verse 5, make every effort. As a follower of Jesus, we are called to strive, to pursue, to make every effort for these qualities that are outlined here to be present within our lives. Let's take a step back for a second because you may be tempted in that moment to say, hang on, I thought who we are in Christ was totally on the basis of what Christ has done, and it is. 1,000% on the basis of what Christ has done in our lives. But a faith that is authentic, that is true, will be present and evident in the way we live. Which is exactly here what Peter is outlining for these readers and for us that we should have a faith that is at work, meaning that we are striving. Paul would say this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. You may want to write this beside verse 5 there. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that powerfully works in me. So notice this picture, this relationship that with the Spirit of God who indwells us, we as followers of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, are working and striving in our lives so that our lives look like what Peter describes here. I thought about it in this relationship when our kids were learning how to ride the bike. They hop on the bike, they're ready to go. And they put their foot on the pedal. And they just can't get enough strength mustered up to turn it so that the wheel moves. And man, they're working. They're working hard. They're striving. And then what do we do as parents? Some of you just sit back and go, you'll figure it out one day, bud. But praise God, that's not what he does with us. Because the Spirit of God is at work empowering us to do what He's called us to do in the same way with kids that we come alongside and we push the bike so that it can get going. In the same way, the power of the Spirit at work within us enables us to do what He describes here. So He says, make every effort to supplement your faith, notice with the things that he describes here. And I want you to know this is not an exhaustive list, but it is a good framework for us to think through in our lives as followers of Jesus. Are these things true and are we pursuing them in our lives? The first one he says there is virtue, 
which is simply moral excellence or goodness or uprightness? Are we pursuing virtue in our lives? Are we pursuing knowledge in our lives? A deeper understanding of who God is and what his word says about him and us and this world in which we live. Self-control. Are we growing in our self-restraint? Are we growing in our self-discipline as a follower of Jesus? The next one he says is steadfastness or endurance in the face of opposition. Are we growing in our endurance? Are we growing in godliness, holiness, righteousness in our lives? Are we growing in brotherly affection, which is the next one that he highlights here, which is our love for fellow believers? Is your love deepening for followers of Jesus more and more and more? And then the final one, love. This is self-sacrificing love. It's love that can only be produced in the life of a follower of Jesus because it is the love that he has demonstrated to us. And without us understanding that, there is no way for us to love others in that same way. And Paul, Peter says here that these things should be true in our lives as followers of Jesus. Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit that's outlined there, several that we see here. It's the work of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives and our striving alongside of the Spirit as we pursue after the Lord. Now, as we think through that, I think the question comes before every one of us as followers of Jesus are these things true in our lives? As you look at your life, if you were looking in the mirror of your heart right now, would you be able to see these things growing and evident in your life? As we look at those, I want you to notice that Paul's or Peter's attention is going to focus in, in verses 8 through 15, on the fruit if those things are evident in our lives. Notice verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about that. Peter says, if these qualities, these things that he's outlined, and that's not an exhaustive list, but it's a good starting point for us, if these things are true, and if they are increasing in our lives, then it will enable us to be effective and fruitful as followers of Jesus, which means the opposite is also true. If those things are not evident in our lives and they're not growing, then we will be ineffective and unfruitful. As you look at your life, you say, okay, what happens, pastor, if, if these things are not there and I'm not growing in them? Well, notice verse 9. 
For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Listen, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Peter doesn't sit here and say, if these things are not present, just try harder. Figure it out. No, what he says is, you need to go back to verses 1 through 4. You need to go back to your identity in Christ. If you are unfruitful and ineffective as a believer, the problem, Peter says, is you don't fully grasp and understand what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Which is why for us, here's the thing, I've said this before to you, church, we never, never, never graduate from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not that we get saved and then we can move on to the big things. Undergirding every aspect of our lives as followers of Jesus is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which transforms us. And Peter says here, if you are ineffective, if you are unfruitful, if these things are not true, go back to the beginning. It may be that you go back to the beginning and realize that you were never truly a follower of Jesus after all. I've been in church for a number of years, and I have seen people who grew up in the church who come to their latter years and come to the realization that they really were never followers of Jesus at all. They played the church game really well, but they had never truly surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. And this is one way which we may find that out. You may find that out in your life. You look and you say, I'm not fruitful. I don't see fruit that is matching what he says here. And you go back to that point and you say, did I, did I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior? Was it authentic? Was it real? Because ultimately the truth is, if our root is in Christ, we are truly a follower of Jesus, the fruit in our life will be there. But if our root is not in Christ, it is impossible for us to bear fruit. It'd be the equivalent of us printing off apples and walking up to a tree with the piece of paper from the printer and a stapler and stapling a picture of an apple on a tree and saying, there's fruit. It won't work. Now, you may very well be a follower of Jesus. You may go back to that point and look at the gospel and say, I know that I'm a follower of Jesus. I know that it was real. I know that it was authentic. I know that there was life transformation. So why is there not fruit? Why am I not being effective as a follower of Jesus? Well, the question is, is there sin present in your life that's not been confessed and not been turned from? Because God's word tells us that sin in the life of a believer will hinder the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. And so for you this morning, you may very well be a follower of Jesus, but there's sin that's present in your life that needs to be dealt with. 
Because as you notice here, Peter says for us, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling in election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ensure that you truly are in Christ. Peter in verses 12 through verse 15 makes this determination. I intend always to remind you of these qualities. He's later going to say to them, I am about to die. I am going to breathe my last this side of eternity. But as long as I still have breath, I am going to challenge you, proclaim to you, encourage you to continue pursuing the Lord with everything you have. Which for us who are followers of Jesus, one of the beautiful things about being part of the body of Christ is that we have the opportunity, like Peter here to these believers, to come alongside one another and to, as Peter says here, stir up one another encourage one another, challenge one another, push one another to continue pursuing the Lord in our lives, to continue to ensure that there is fruit that is evident in our lives, that we are effective in the kingdom of God as a result of what he's called us to do. I want to ask you, if you would, this morning, to bow your heads with me as our worship team makes their way back up. This morning, you may have come in and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never experienced what Peter describes in these first four verses. The good news for you this morning is you can, by faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he is the Son of God, that he came and lived a sinless life and took your sin upon himself on the cross and paid the debt that you owed, and that he rose from the grave, securing your salvation today You have the opportunity to respond by faith, trusting in him alone for salvation. That's a step that you need to take. I want to encourage you to take that step this morning. Maybe for you, you have taken that step, and this morning was just an encouragement to you, a reminder of who you are in Christ. And in this time of worship that we have, it's an opportunity to celebrate and to thank him for what he's done in your life. Maybe as a follower of Jesus, you look at your life and the Lord's brought conviction because there is a lack of fruit. There's a lack of effectiveness 
And this is an opportunity for you during this time of response to run back to verses one through four, to the gospel that transformed you, to be reminded and to rest once again in what Christ has done. And allow him to transform your heart once again as you seek to pursue him with your life. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it challenges us, and encourages us, and convicts us. And Lord, I pray right now that you would work in hearts and lives of those that are sitting in this room. God, do what you desire to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand? Our altar is open. Our pastors are down front. You respond this morning as the Lord leads.